0: The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Diplosport podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. I first became aware of Michelle Kwan before the 1998 Winter Games in Nagano, Japan, when she became America's sweetheart and was on the cover of every magazine you can imagine, including Sports Illustrated as well as being the face of virtually every sponsorship deal you can imagine, too. She is one of the greatest figure skaters in the history of the sport, multiple-time world champion, multiple-time national champion here in the States. And I had an opportunity to speak with her about her experiences growing up in the sport, as well as her experiences spreading the values of her sport around the world. Again... As always, real interesting conversation. We had a great time catching up and talking. And without further ado, here's my interview with Michelle Kwan.
1: And you are? Michelle Kwan. And
0: what what do you do? Uh, <laughs> or I what used did you to, do?
1: yeah, I, I used to be an Olympic ice skater. Do twirls, whirls and twirls.
0: <laughs> and the uh, split falling leaf, too. Split
1: falling leaf, inside, outside, spirals. I used to do, what was my favorite jump? I'd say Lutz.
0: The triple Lutz? Triple Lutz. Or triple toe to triple toe? Is it? Oh, no, that uh, was my uh, least favorite. <laughs> <laughs> you still landed one, right?
1: I, I Triple toe, triple toe, uh-huh. yes. And then my least favorite, I have to say, is triple loop because uh-huh. it's a back outside edge. Uh-huh. And it's like the most uh, a scary feeling to rely on doing tri- three rotations on a back outside edge.
0: Uh-huh. Where'd you grow up?
1: Torrance, California. Torrance.
0: And you went to public school for, till eighth grade?
1: Yeah, I went to public school till seventh grade. uh, And it was hard because the school wouldn't allow you to miss more than a week total. (laughs) So, of course, uh, when I traveled to international competitions, I would miss four days here and there. And suddenly it was just a time where I had to do independent and homeschool.
0: How did you you end up on the ice, how, and how old were you?
1: I was about five years old when I started skating, and it was sort of an after-school activity. How,
0: how did your parents even think? Your, your parents are Chinese immigrants. Chinese
1: to... immigrants. Uh, I think it was um, by happenstance. Uh, there was a skating rink inside a mall close by, and so my parents always said that we have to stay active, uh, and I was always known as like the jumping bean or the little monkey you know (laughs) my my grandmother used to call me the little monkey jumping around and can't sit still so let's try to do something good with that energy and so my parents decided hey why don't you take up ice skating
0: and when did you know that this was a something you enjoyed and b that you were special
1: I don't think I ever realized, oh, I, I'm special. I'm, I'm going to be a great skater. Not
0: even when you were, like, standing on top of the podium. <laughs> no. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Never really thought about
1: it. But when I was five years old, I started skating, and I was not born to skate. Uh, I, I was uh, holding on to the rails for dear life. My brother picked it up quick, quite quickly, and he would actually try to scare the living daylights out of me. He would grab my hand and, like, for, of course, have, being a big brother. Yeah, this is. what brothers I do. I know, yeah. exactly. he hold my hand and fling me across the ice. <laughs> and, of course, I'm like, ah! Just, like, running into people. But uh, I think I, I caught up quickly as, you know, a younger sibling um, with an older sister and an older brother. And I I loved it. I mean, I, I would eat candy. I remember my first video my, my mom took of me ice skating. I would take two str- – um, I would stroke around the ice, and then I would, like, have nerds and, like, eat it (laughs) on the ice. Stroke, 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 and then, you know, (laughs) eat some more nerds. Um,
0: Positive reinforcement. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
1: My own positive reinforcement. It
0: works with rats, so. Oh, yeah, exactly. Skating
1: prodigies.
0: (laughs) And then when did you start competing, just locally? Did your coach uh, at the rinks see something in you, or?
1: So, I actually don't remember um but my parents talk about how the coach the coach pulled my parents aside and said you know your your daughters uh Karen and Michelle are improving uh, quite quickly and you know we're in group lessons where you have 10 um 10 kids on the ice at the same time um I think they should you know they're they have improved so much that I advise doing private lessons. And so I think it was a gradual, like, okay, well, we learned so quickly that we started to do jumps and we started to do spins and uh, quickly improved. And then um, our coaches decided, hey, let's, you know, enroll in skating competitions.
0: And how, how much time were you spending on the ice when you were 10 years old?
1: I remember it used to be once-a-week kind of thing where we have groups lessons and then um, we improved so quickly that we had you know once a week private lessons and then it was like a couple times a week and then uh, before you know it I was like skating five days a week um, and then we got to a point where I was skating six to seven days a week and enrolling in local competitions the national competitions and then by the time I was 13 I was uh, competing in the national level and the world level.
0: And there are two tracks I want to pursue here. One, mm-hmm. that couldn't have been cheap, right?
1: It definitely <laughs> was not cheap, and I saw it every day. You know, my parents—
0: Who were who were immigrants to the U.S.?
1: Immigrants to the United States um, and, you know, trying to make ends meet, let alone uh, spending a lot of money— on you know skating costumes which we had very we had one <laughs> skating um i mean our equipment which was the skating boots and blades um and to a lot of people they, they think that we have a lot we only have one pair of boots and blades um and it was expensive skating lessons were at the time twenty dollars and but that adds up over it adds up times plus seven. times times two yeah. right oh, my yeah, sister's sure. skating so uh, at some point in my career I remember um, I, I really didn't think that my parents would be able to afford it because it, it was so costly and my parents were you know juggling three different jobs um, just to provide you know food on the table roof over our heads. And you know, the silly class. thing <laughs> called figure skating.
0: Uh, Where's your folks work?
1: Uh, we had a Chinese restaurant, um, and my, my dad was sometimes behind, you know, in in the kitchen cooking. He worked for what was Pacific Bell now AT and T. My mom was working for a bank um, and as a teller and accountant, and it was just very very, I mean, difficult.
0: So they were clearly role models in your life for hard work and work ethic.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> my parents are, uh, to me, my role models for life in terms of um, how strong they are. When I think of the word courage, I um, think of my parents because they immigrated to the United States with nothing uh, but that seed of hope, you know, of a better future and uh, more opportunities for their kids.
0: Yeah. And, I, and I want to put a pin in that because I, we're going to come back to, to – the importance of of sports and and America's role in the world in a little bit. Uh, the, the second avenue I wanted to pursue here is mm-hmm. when you think of American figure skaters say before eighty eight, right? It's it's the Dorothy Hamills and the Peggy Flemings of the world. Who did you look up to? And and uh, you're Asian American. I, I mean, was it was it difficult to to not have somebody that you could look up and say, oh, the, you know, we we're similar. We have a similar background.
1: I remember growing up and watching uh, Janet Lynn. Of course, I wasn't alive when Dorothy Hamill um, won the Olympics or the Peggy Fleming, but watched old videos of their performances, um, the classics, really, and the legends in the sport. Uh, but Christy Yamaguchi won the 92 Olympics, and I really looked up to her, um, being Japanese-American and saying, "Oh wow, I, this is a possibility. I can be, you know, just like her."
0: Do you remember the first time you met her?
1: I remember the first time that I didn't meet her. I didn't have the courage to say hello. <laughs> it's like was, when <laughs> you
0: and I first met. <laughs> yeah, you didn't say hello. Yeah, you did.
1: <laughs> but Christy uh, skated in LA. Um, I don't know. Maybe she might have been doing a, a show. And I told my parents, I'm like, Christy Yamaguchi is skating in this – practicing in this rink. Let's go skate with her. Uh, you can imagine, like, all the kids wanted to skate and be on the same ice. But um, I was – I avoided her because I didn't want to get in her way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she had more important <laughs> things to do.
0: <laughs> and how far is Torrance from L.A.? I'm sorry about my California geography. Is Tor-
1: to- I, I say L.A., but to- – <laughs> so we were – I think we were in – is
0: Torrance Southern California? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah, so. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So you guys are from relatively the same. She's she's in right? Northern California. Oh, she is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. San Fran. Um. And then what about coaching? I, I mean, did at your rank, did you just happen to find somebody that was capable of of raising a world class figure skater or or you know how did your parents you know position you to to make that leap from? I had
1: incredible coaches growing up uh, people that I really admired and guided me in the right path um, when I started to compete in the international level uh, actually the national level uh, came across Frank Carroll who in the sport of figure skating is a legend and, and is a has you know been amazing in terms of um, not grooming is the wrong word, but um, guiding incredible figure skaters to be world champion. And so uh, people suggested, hey, Michelle, not, not suggested me, suggested to my parents, you should take from Frank Carroll. And I remember my first lesson with Frank. I was like, star stock. Like, here's this world class coach um, helping me. And was just hanging on every word, and was so helpful. I, I worked with Frank Carroll for over ten years. Um, it was eye opening every day. Uh, but how, he, how many hours a day? Geez, it used to be seven days a week. Uh, the what, weekends were a little bit more, like an hour or two. So very minimal.
0: What time? Are you <laughs> getting, what time are you getting on the ice?
1: Uh, I had a pretty structured. Routine when I was competing for the Olympics, um, it was 10 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 5 o'clock, an hour on the ice. But there, but you have to rem- remember there's a uh, warm-up and a cool-down. So it's like really two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, two hours in the evening. And after dinner, I would actually go to the gym, <laughs> gym. <laughs> for another hour. Because,
0: so. I mean, you needed your cardio and core strength,
1: right? Exactly, to- exactly. So it was... For figure skaters, it's like, you want to be limber, you want to be flexible and do the spirals that are so pretty, um, you know, what figure skaters, you think of spirals, you think of um, laybacks, and you have to have flexibility, but strength and agility, and, um, you know, I, I used to have friend's joke like ah oh, figure skating is not not a real sport <laughs> i'm like <laughs> let me tell you it is when you're doing a triple jump the, the
0: explosive to, yeah nature of that right? you
1: have to have speed across the ice yeah. uh the impact of actually jumping and you know it's 300 pounds It's like five times i don't know the calculation, but it's like five five hundred times the impact. The impact when you land, sure, uh-huh. and also when you fall. <laughs> um, not that that ever happened. Yeah, no, no, never,
0: never. Um, yeah, all right, so you're you're at the national level. Ninety four is you're you're coming out, getting ready for a Lillahammer. hammer, uh, and, and maybe we won't get too into details. Yeah, not about too, your not too many.
1: That, that was a very interesting year.
0: But you came in second at nationals that year. I yeah.
1: was second yeah. behind Tanya Harding mm-hmm. at the national championships to qualify me, mm-hmm. technically, yeah. uh, to the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. But that year was also when Nancy Kerrigan got so clubbed. So yeah. And I was right behind Nancy Kerrigan when that happened. Kerrigan
0: Kwan, right? Yes. In order. Exactly.
1: And getting off the ice, seeing, you know, that there's a a hallway and there was a curtain and I was right behind Nancy and I heard something and then screaming. Yeah. Why uh, Why me? Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was frightening, you know, for a 13 year old. And I was like, what is happening? And, you know, my parents definitely <coughs> told me to avoid watching television, the news and really, you know, protected me and shelter, like make sure that I was not afraid, you know? <laughs> Of my life. <laughs> yeah. And that year I was an alternate sent to Lily Hammer. Because
0: we would only send two back then. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And at that time it was complicated because people didn't know, and I think still don't know what Tanya Harding's involvement in, sure. in the situation. So um, either way, they sent Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. And so I, I was sent as the first alternate. Mm. And it was an incredible experience. Uh Did you
0: get to march in the opening ceremony? I didn't. Oh, so okay. I was
1: not yeah. I was not part of like the team team, mm-hmm. but I was still practicing in a, a close by ice rink just in case anything sure. were to happen.
0: After ninety four, then all of a sudden you start winning national championships.
1: I won my first national 96. title ninety six. Yeah.
0: Uh, and then and then world championships too that same year that same year yeah um, what, what was was that just experience and age was there anything that you'd attribute to making that leap
1: I learned a lot um, from 94 to 96 in terms of my improvement in skating in in terms of artistry and understanding um, musicality and uh And also growing up, like in 94, I was only 13 and I was known as like the jumping bean. Uh And by the time 96 rolls around, I was skating to Salome Uh um, and, and, and not in those two years, like discovered artistry, but I was surrounded by incredible skaters. I was on tour on Champions on Ice, you know, touring with the best of the best in the world. And, Not
0: to be confused with Ice Capades. Yes. But,
1: <laughs> or, Disney on or, ice. or Disney on Ice. But really touring with these remarkable skaters, professional skaters. And I, I think I, I, I soaked it all in. Mm-hmm. And so the year 96, it was a, a very creative one where I would sit with my choreographer, uh, Laurie Nickel, and, and really listen to music and was with Frank Carroll and, and wanted to come out with a a very a two different very uh, two different programs um, and one was like romanza, one was Salome, and so it was like
0: a you'd have to skate twice in a yeah. in a world level yeah. competition. So
1: we have the short program yeah. mm-hmm. and the long program. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: what's the in a nutshell, what's the? difference They
1: call original and free dance free Oh okay, free program, mm-hmm. but short, long <laughs> Short is what it is two and a half minutes. Two and a half. four minutes is long. <laughs> uh, and, and how
0: do you pick your music?
1: These days they have they allow um, words so you can skate to um, and more you have more options. but um I think for skaters, it's a hit or miss really. Mm. um some skaters just let their choreographer choose um i I always wanted to feel it first like hear yeah. it, feel it, uh, play it in the ice rink and see if it's something that is sort of organic moves you know come out and like inspire me because you'd
0: be living with that piece for, for a whole year
1: <laughs> so you better love it yeah and, and I think every piece that I chose to skate to it resonated me uh, raised like in terms of like making that connection uh, I could feel it and the way I see it is like your body is a can your, the ice is a canvas your body is really an instrument to like express yourself um, so it it really is a time where you need to <laughs> find yourself and say, like, the, it, does this piece of music um, resonate? Is
0: there a rule that you have to choose a new piece of music every year or is that you just can, something you do to? You know?
1: Some skaters um, choose to repeat programs like one year um, and then recy- recycle it, yep. if you will.
0: And you uh – Mentioned before that the costumes were expensive, but uh, all of a sudden you met uh, another uh, Asian American, Vera Wang. Uh, yes, a
1: fabulous designer. Uh, but I, who
0: also did your wedding dress too, who did my wedding dress. I read that in People yes. magazine.
1: But I, you know, growing up, skating costumes were so expensive. My parents, actually my mom, it was my, not my dad. My mom uh, would sew costumes. For for my sister, both 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 of us, and I just remember late late late, like just pulling on all nighter, just putting sequins wow. on my skating costume, wow. just amazing. And I have these amazing small skating costumes that my wow. mom made. But yeah, when I, I ended up um, when I was twenty two, mm-hmm. I think no, gosh, when did I start working with Vera? I think when I was, like, 19 or 20. Okay.
0: So in between Nagano and Salt Lake? Yeah. Or, okay.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And, I mean, did she just have you come in and kind of...
1: So Vera Wang, um, a lot of people don't know that she used to be an ice skater. Okay. Um, And competed in the national level. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah.
0: I did not know that.
1: Yeah. And uh, so she was... Hmm. When did... How did it happen? My sister was working as her – as an intern at Vera uh, as – because my sister was PR major. Okay. Where'd she go to school? At BU. Okay. Yeah. And so worked with Vera and we connected and Vera said, you know, I'd love to make your skating costumes. And I'm like, how could I say no? And she made my costumes for six years. Okay, wow. Yeah, for a number of years.
0: Up until your wedding day. (laughs) Uh, Up until
1: my wedding day, exactly.
0: (laughs) And you're still friends. Oh, yes, yes. I see Vera Did she do Evan Lysacek too?
1: Did Evans. um, Nancy Kerrigans. Not Johnny Weir. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Nancy Kerrigans in um, 94 Olympics where she has that gold costume. uh, That that was Vera's.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, i didn't even mean to go on that, that, yeah, that, that, that away. Right? <laughs> this is very Yay. fascinating you in um, uh, you mentioned before that that skating with uh, when, when you would go on tour w- was when you, you it really helped you make the leap by being exposed to other figure skaters mm-hmm. I, I realize when you're saying that that the mm-hmm. other women female olympians that i've interviewed uh, for this have all been team athletes, uh, and they could all talk about the impact of Title IX and how yeah. that led them getting into Notre Dame or the University of North yeah. Carolina, and, and how having those, those role models maybe 10, 15 years before them helped open doors to, to be NCAA players, national team level players. You, yeah. There's no such thing as NCAA figure skating, so you, no. you don't you really have that. So, <laughs> but being around other, other women, uh, not to put words in your mouth, but was that something that, that helped you make that leap? And you could say no if, uh, if uh, yeah.
1: no. Yeah. I, it made me think. You know, when you watch the sport of figure skating and single skating, you think of like, oh, you're doing it all by yourself. But there is there is a team behind you. My choreographer, you know, my um, the person that sharpens my skates, my parents, parents. who drive me to the rink, yeah. yeah. uh, my coach that's near the boards, uh, and it's really a team sport. Uh, but in terms of you know the women and the incredible figure skaters that I was surrounded by, yeah, I, I wanted to be a lot like Nancy Kerrigan '94. Watched Oksana Bayul from Ukraine, yeah. um, who won admired, the gold medal. Yeah, in 94. admired. Um, you know also the male skaters that were just incredible so i think there are always there's giants and people that have led the way i think of billy jean king who's a dear friend um, what she has made N- such not a, a <laughs> <skater>. <laughs> not a figure skater not a figure skater has made a huge impact in in women's sports mm-hmm. and paved the way and i think of Peggy Fleming. I mean, specifically in figure skating, Peggy Fleming, Dorothy Hamill, Janet Lynn—all these remarkable women figure skaters that have paved the way um, to in women's sports and women's figure skating.
0: You have experience um, in, in in film, right? In film, you, 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 I
1: starred in you, Arthur, the, the,
0: Simpsons, the Simpsons, The Simpsons, Family Where I looked
1: kind of yellowish, uh, <laughs> more yellowish. Than I.
0: I'm not going to touch that with a dead footfall, but you're my first Simpsons character to to appear on the podcast. Um, What was that like?
1: I was in the studio with Warren Sapp. Wow. Doing voiceover. And I had the opportunity to meet sort of the voices of the Simpsons and... One of their table reads, or what? Not table reads, but um, uh, when they talk about the next episode, and they just the script writing the run script. through, or, or yeah, in uh, the writer's room. There's yeah. like a different. What is the word?
0: Uh, you're <laughs> the Hollywood.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was interesting because these are the you know mastermind sure. of the creative process of The Simpsons.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool, and that features prominently on your sizzle reel. You, 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 <laughs> you became a spokeswoman for. For uh, Chevy,
1: Chevy to Campbell Soup, Yoplait, Uh for Coca
0: Cola,
1: uh, Coca Cola, but that was years later. But Disney, yeah. So it, it, yeah.
0: So, 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 <laughs> so, so your parents' investment definitely paid off in the long run. That uh, uh, and you were chosen by these major organizations because you were held up as a role model because you were a figure skater. A, a champion, <laughs> uh, yeah. And and you a carried figure skater. <laughs> you, yeah, you, no, and you carried yourself with grace and dignity oh, well, and, thank you, and represented the country well. <laughs> but that wasn't enough for you. Right? It was and I I mean we could talk about the Olympics and stuff like yeah, that yeah. but but why you're actually sitting here is more importantly is because of what you have done since you left the ice. And you, you went to Denver uh, for undergrad, right?
1: I think for athletes, I can't speak for everybody, but transition from sports to not real life, but transition (laughs) out of sports because it it is so time consuming, it's sort of your identity in so many ways. It's like seven days a week. Seven days a week. Ten hours a day. Yeah. You (laughs) From the time you're five years old. (laughs) You have to have that dedication in order to be the best. And I I see it. I see the dedication every day when I, you know, not every day. Let's rewind that. Um, When I see Olympians, you know, whether that's figure skaters or swimmers, and the hours they spend training on the ice, in the gym, you know, in the pool, on the court, you name it. It is who you are. And when suddenly you retire from the sport, it's sort of a... Identity crisis, if you will, saying like, "Well, every morning I would wake up and I had such a set routine, and suddenly that's all gone. Like, what am I going to do?" Uh, I I transitioned. And
0: would you say that the figure skating was your passion?
1: It was my passion. Yes. It was my first, you know, love. Uh, the moment I started skating at five till twenty six when I finished, mm-hmm. and I think for a lot of people, they. They linger a lot longer,
0: and you would have kept skating too, right? I, I, you thought about Turin, t- Torino. Uh, in-
1: yeah, so I, I was an alternate, and <coughs> an alternate. What am I talking about? Um, I was in Torino, and then I was injured and pulled out. But I think for for all athletes, it's like it's to me like when I transitioned, it was difficult, and I found my myself in a way by going. To school, uh, where I graduated from the University of Denver. But before that, I was at UCLA. Just never ended up graduating because uh, something called the Olympics always got in the way. <laughs> but then so, when I graduated, it was like, oh well, I continued to get my master's because I was like, I still felt like that urge or that need to to learn. And
0: what attracted you to Denver? Like, why did you say it? okay? Is it because of Denver's reputation as a major international affairs?
1: School it, in a way. Uh, um, I
0: close to Colorado Springs. It, it yeah, spring.
1: I loved us- my experience at UCLA. What attracted me to University of Denver was uh, the GSIS program, the Graduate School of International Studies. Um, also, being in Colorado, I, I wanted to have that that experience, um, and also University of Denver. I just loved it. It was the, the size I wanted. It was the environment I wanted, and
0: great faculty
1: and an incredible faculty and so um and now gsis is renamed joseph corbell
0: who who and and who's corbell's daughter
1: and uh, yeah madeline (laughs) albright and joseph corbell was also um i mean now the joseph corbell um graduate school was also where secretary condoleezza rice went to sure (laughs) and we'll, we'll get to her in a second
0: um, and Corbell himself was an immigrant too. That's yeah. Um, so, but the undergrad wasn't enough. You, you then go to Tufts for uh, the Fletcher School. Fletcher School.
1: Yes, law and diplomacy. I think that was also uh, very difficult for me. It's one to get you know my degree, and and then it's another to pursue a master's degree. I was a, a little, uh, if you will, like. Frightened. <laughs> uh,
0: what, what was it about international affairs? Was it growing up in, in a household with, with uh, Chinese immigrant parents? Was it the fact that you traveled the world from the time you were 11 years old uh, on? Or
1: you know, if you would have asked me how old am I, mm-hmm. <laughs> 15 years ago, if if I would ever get a master's degree, I'd be like, no, I. Mm. Uh, but what inspired me, and I think it was my upbringing. You know, being. A child of uh, Chinese immigrants, being able to speak another language, uh, having traveled the world, you know, representing the United States, uh, also, you know, coupled with my experience traveling as the first public diplomacy envoy and the work in diplomacy. Um, and and when, I,
0: when were you named the public diplomacy envoy? Oh, six. And this was by Condi Rice?
1: Yes. So I was appointed as the first public diplomacy envoy in 2006. And I didn't know what, I was like, so what does that entail? Like, what sort of, what do I do? And I traveled, my first trip was to China. And the idea of really talking about my experiences, talking about what I learned through sports and being American and um, connecting with uh, youth around the world. And I didn't know, sort of, I saw in a very small picture way uh, the impact of people-to-people dialogue. But then in in a bigger sense, you bring countries closer together um, by talking about sports. Who doesn't like sports? Sure, yeah, <laughs> it's it's the common language. right?
0: And you're adored in China. Uh, oh. <laughs> I mean, you've won awards. I, I remember we had a visitor in from China in Washington one day, and he, he and I were walking out of the building, and sure enough, you walk up, and the guy, very very serious member of their Olympic committee, and all of a sudden he becomes the, like this fanboy, <laughs> no, and, really? and he's like, "Morgan, take my picture." <laughs> yeah.
1: But they don't know me as Michelle; they know me as Quan Ying Shan, which is my Chinese name. Okay. Well, and it's always Quan, middle name, first name. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Quan cool. Ying Shan. Yeah. yeah. And you speak. Cantonese.
1: Yeah, and, and that's Guan Ying San. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little different.
0: I, I, oh, gosh. I, I don't so know. many dialects. I can learn a tonal <laughs> language. Um, so 2006, you're a public diplomacy envoy. You're going to China. You went to Singapore. You were You were all over the place, right? Uh.
1: So I traveled to, let's see, China, Russia, Ukraine, Singapore, Argentina, Korea.
0: On behalf of the Department of State. And why why did the State Department send you out on these programs?
1: I don't know, Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maybe you could fill
0: in the blanks. I, I have to pretend like I don't really work for them. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. but, <laughs> oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> no,
0: no, but we, or the State Department sends athletes, world-class athletes like you out because it's a great way to represent our American culture and values, which often are shared culture and values, and it's a great way to open people's eyes to, to realize that we're all the same.
1: You could not have said it better, yes. And and I didn't realize that as I was traveling as an envoy for mm-hmm. a number. Fears, until I realized the power it has in in a global way. How the U.S. government does these exchanges and how powerful they are. Yes, you have professional athletes and Olympians, but um, the most common ones. I mean, the best um, exchanges are are sports uh, exchanges, um, are you know music exchanges and. It's just a powerful way uh, to bring people together.
0: We call those universal languages, the the cultural exchanges, where it doesn't matter, you know, that that you you speak Cantonese and I I speak English. Differences, put aside. Religion,
1: color of your skin, um, your beliefs, but you share these universal common language.
0: hard work, uh, you know, uh, teamwork. Building a better
1: future, (laughs) the power of education, the importance of family.
0: And it shouldn't yeah. be a surprise to you that that girls that pick up sports are just set up for success so much better because it translates the the academic setting to postponing having kids. Yeah, <laughs> you know, women's health, it, it's a huge aspect.
1: It was very powerful when um, Pakistani young girls came to the U.S. Department of State for a tour. They were field hockey. and They were field hockey players. And I remember having the opportunity to meet them. And it made a huge impact uh, on me because here were these group of young women who often get laughed at, um, do not have the opportunities as boys. And when they talk to their parents, often say, like, why are you playing sports? That's not what girls do. And... When they had an incredible experience in the United States, I'm sure they went back to Pakistan and said, yes, I can do this. You know, I can learn and I can be an athlete and I can do this for my body, for my mind. And it translate into other areas of their lives. So, you know, flashback, I think, a flash, fast forward, you know, 10 years from now, you know, I'm sure these young women are going to be so empowered and believe that they can do anything.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is (laughs) it's one thing for Michelle Kwan to go overseas. And I heard you mention three different continents, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of showing the universal appeal of of figure skating. Uh, And and you're touching dozens, if not hundreds, of young boys and girls because it's important that boys see you also. Um, But you also think there's a lot of value in the athletes coming.
1: There's immense value. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you have the Olympians and professional athletes traveling and, you know, having their notoriety and their, um, you know, their famous, uh, being able to reach out and talk about their upbringing, being an American, talk about American values um, and the American dream. But it's another to have these incredible smaller exchanges that are even almost more powerful uh, because it changes their lives and opens their eyes as well.
0: It's like an intense two-week period, but you're creating 15 sports envoys that don't leave after two weeks yeah. when they go back to uh, Karachi or Lahore or wherever.
1: Yeah, and their lives are, you know, made better for it. And you know, the State Department does such an incredible job doing bringing people together, whether it's you know, music or sports. I, I always say sports is most popular one of course (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm I'm, I'm, I'm,
0: I'm biased too (laughs) no
1: but when I mean I remember there was the Edward Morrow program and here there are journalists that travel all over the country get to be paired up with an incredible um,
0: mentor mentor, mentor, uh, host yeah
1: and almost shadow them for two to three weeks
0: yeah and and there's an intro and, and, and an exit yeah, well, um, and well, sort of a toolkit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
1: so then, when you go back to your own country, um, and have that relationship, I think it's so powerful these exchanges that make essentially the world a better place. Do you,
0: I? I think I know the answer. I, I think you made it clear. Yeah. How are we doing time-wise? It's eleven, <laughs> oh, but no oh.
1: no one's kicked us out yet.
0: Um, so. Is Sports, something that the U.S. government should be delving into, Do, you know, from your firsthand experience, and then even your your policy experience, uh, working at, at the department, or 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 having, rel, you know, relatives that are in, interested in elected office and stuff like that.
1: Well, the United States is one of three countries that doesn't have a sports ministry, ministry. and you have yes, the United States Olympic Committee, you have the NBA, you have all these sure. United States figure skating, um, and it's amazing that we have so many athletes uh, around the country um, and you benefit so much from sports. Uh, but I, a lot of my my friends in in the sport of figure skating as well as other sports, um, they benefit from having grants and everything provided for. I think we were talking about this sure. in the last conversation.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you grew up in China, you would have been... Picked up at five and, and put into an academy system and everything
1: paid for everything it as well. paid for it. yeah um, and that's not just elite athletes it goes down to you know school
0: and that's how they identify the elite right it, you yeah know, it's mass and they yeah. put a hundred girls in and, and create
1: and and sometimes you wonder shouldn't I mean, this probably is a little controversial <laughs> but like doesn't that impact why in the United States the obesity rate is so high sure you know sure. how. In schools, the first thing they cut is music and recess, and not recess, but like more uh, physical f- activity. Yeah, phys ed. Because I remember growing up, and I I was always very, you know.
0: You were the monkey. You were I was the, jo- the monkey. Johnny. I was
1: <laughs> on the literally on the <laughs> junk, jungle gym, you know, hanging <laughs> off. I, um, and I think of what we did at phys ed when they did like the stretching thing and like the contests and I I was always very active Uh, but cutting those kind of programs and how it can lead to
0: phys ed has a lot more value than just learning games Mm -hmm. there's life skills that come out of phys ed and by cutting that there may be unintended consequences
1: so we're both advocating for a sports ministry, basically, yeah.
0: or, or at least at least something like a sports czar, right? It's yeah, somebody yeah. that that the executive branch could reach out to and say, "Hey, you know, I need you to be the point person," Condi Rice, or or I,
1: I don't want to say czar, uh, okay. but <laughs> I would say if we
0: coordinator,
1: a coordinator, mm-hmm. but having a focus not recreational sports.
0: Um. All right. So, uh, so, so, last thing uh, on that is just you—you uh, you see the value in in having some sort of federal or even local level sports administration that that's tied into a government
1: in some way. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do already have associations, um, you know, for the Olympics, it's the United States Olympic Committee. You have the WNBA, NBA, NHL, you know, NFL, but I mean, having coordination or having some sort of Grassroots, where you can reach young, get young kids more involved and more physically, <laughs> almost interested. Sure, because I, I see young kids, and I just on their
0: phones and on playing their video phones games.
1: playing video games. Yeah, and then and, and also how that affects your life, being physically active, and they see it. They see the results. Like kids that are more physically active, it it has they have better grades. Um, you feel better, better, better attention fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: well, and this is something Evan Lysacek really pushes: is the is healthy lifestyle. The, he says the body's a machine that wants to be in motion and wants to be moving. And that,
1: which uh, today, these days, I, I need to get myself in the gym more <laughs> often. <laughs> <laughs> which reminds me. <laughs>
0: um, well, uh, is, is there anything else that I, that I should have asked? That I didn't? no,
1: you've covered uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, hey, uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, <laughs> and, uh, and good luck with everything that's coming down the pipeline.
1: Awesome, thanks.